Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. positive thing is you've had four weeks to rest and take your mind off the book of Revelation the negative side is you may have forgotten everything you ever learned in the past uh, 21 lessons this is lesson number 22 uh, part 13 part 13a uh, here tonight in the book of Revelation amen but we'll go here to the word of the Lord amen and see what it'll say I'll try to be gentle with you tonight and we'll just ease back into this because I had to ease back into the routine uh, of sticking my nose in the book Amen. And trying to find the the troves that are in this book of Revelation. Revelation 14, starting with verse number 1. I'll read the first five uh, verses and then then you'll be able to be seated. The Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. That's the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. There's a revelation tongue twister for you. Harpers harping with their harps. Say that five times fast. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Tonight, and probably tonight, and at least next week for sure, I want to talk to you about a glimpse of the end. A glimpse of the end. End. If you'll just join me one more time in prayer. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm asking God for enlightenment. I'm asking, oh Lord Jesus, for open hearts and open minds. God, through the teaching of your word this evening, we know, oh Lord God, that you're able to share with us from this word. God, if the blessing, Lord Jesus, of revelation is true in the first chapter, blessed are they who read it and who hear, Lord Jesus, it read and spoken. God, then we'll leave from this place, God, with some major blessing in our life tonight as a result of having been here. I pray, oh God, help us. I know, God, that you will, and I trust in you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus, Christ that I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Shake a neighbor's hand if there's one close enough to you. Shake your own hand if not. Amen. Shake your own hand if not. A glimpse of the end. Tonight if I could just as we get our feet wet again here in the book of Revelation 1 Corinthians 13 12 states these words. It says for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face. Now I know in part but then shall I know even as also I am known. Verse 9 prior to verse 12 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest frustrations of our study in the book of Revelation or the book of Revelation in general is that simple truths that were illustrated in Corinthians. That now on this side of heaven, on this side of glory, we see through a glass darkly. And on this side of heaven, we know in part and everything, we don't know everything. 
On this side, we're looking through a glass darkly. Not everything is as clear as it will be. Uh, the old song bears it well. We'll understand it better by and by. Well, whenever we get there and we are as he is, uh, every question we have, and I've probably said this before, but bear with me. People say, well, whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this, this, and this. You ain't going to ask anything. Because when you get there, you will be as he is. You'll know as soon as, soon as your transformation takes place, every question you had will be answered. Boom. It'll happen. But as we are at a disadvantage on this side of glory, we're looking through a, a, a glass darkly. And so the Bible says we know in part, and no doubt those that preceded us knew in part. And to some degree, as the Scripture says, they prophesied in part. And so even things that they foretold of the future events, whatever they relayed, of course, was all that was relayed to them through the Spirit. And there was sometimes the Spirit did not relay every little detail, every crossing of the T and dotting of the I. And so when we read the book of Revelation, the reason why we read it, people say, why well, leave from there with so many questions? Well, welcome to the Humanity Club. We are looking through a glass dar darkly, and we only know in part, and they more than likely only prophesied in part and so we we do not have all the answers to the questions that the book of revelation creates nor will we on this side of heaven have all of those answers amen since we are just in through a glass darkly if i can just do a little wrap up from where we've been thus far and i'm not going to be very long in this but at the end of revelation chapter number 11 that's been i know some time ago uh it was the blowing or the sounding of the seventh trumpet but the actual pouring forth remember the seventh trumpet kind of gave birth to the seven vials that we've not even got to yet we've not got to the seven vials or the seven bows uh they're they're later in the book of revelation they're 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 spoken of in revelation 15 and then actually poured out in revelation 16 but back in revelation 11 that that trumpet sounded and so for several weeks now including the ones that we have taken a little bit of a break for several weeks from Revelation 12, now the chapter that we're in, to Revelation 14, that chapter, we have had an interlude, if you will, or we've called them parenthetical type of chapters. And in them, they, they give other details about things that may have already been mentioned or are yet to be mentioned. They've been given to us. In Revelation 12, you remember, we were inter introduced to some major characters in history and for the future. We were introduced to Israel as a woman, uh, displayed as a woman. We were introduced to Jesus Christ being the man-child uh, that came from a woman. Amen, the Scripture tells us. And then we were also spoken to about the dragon, which they called Lucifer, devil. They named him exactly who and what he was. And we were also introduced to Michael, uh, or spoken about Michael the archangel and his involvement in the affairs of, of, of the history of the church or even the nation of Israel and as it will be in the future in Revelations 12. In Revelations 13, we were uh, spoken to about some other characters, key players that's going to happen, uh, particularly in the last days, but one, its spirit is at work already in our world. We were spoken to about the Antichrist and the false prophet. And so whenever we come to Revelation chapter number 14, we're not adding another character to the list of those that we've already learned of in chapters 12 and 13. But chapter 14 seems to capture, if you have read it, it seems to capture some of the major elements of the end time judgments that are still yet to come. 
It summarizes some of the events that are going to happen just prior to the millennial reign or the 1,000-year reign of Christ Jesus when he comes back in his second coming. And what's interesting and need not to get confused over as they're listed right here in Revelation chapter number 14, they are not placed within Revelation in chronological order. Uh, you cannot read through Revelation from the beginning to the very end and say, well, that fits there, that fits there, and it just it's not necessarily written in chronological order. But the things that are written in Revelation 14, they are spoken of, the way that they're spoken of, they're spoken of in terms of finished events, but they're still yet to take place. Uh, John's talking about them as though they're already settled and done, and they are in eternity already and settled and done, but they are still to take place in the time that you and I uh, live in or those that will live in the future. So they're, they're anticipated. They're anticipated to come. John speaks of them as though they had already come because they're just that sure and that certain in the whole kingdom and economy of God that they will in fact happen. And it's interesting, really, when you begin to think about it, we're studying the book of Revelation uh, in the beginning, the book of beginnings, Genesis, we read about Adam and Eve and, and, and the paradise, the garden in the east of Eden. We read about all that and we read about humanity, uh, everything in that first, first book. It's a paradise that is lost. And then we come to Revelation where toward the end of Revelation, as we're getting nearer and nearer to, it is a paradise that is regrained. So what was lost years ago from the very beginning of time is seemingly to a certain extent regained in the latter portion of time. Verse 1 of Revelation 14 says, and I'll read again, And I looked, and lo, and lo a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. We've heard that before, haven't we? Having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, what? there's a lot of controversy with verse number 1, and I'm just going to touch on some of it. But some wrestle with the question whether or not this Mount Zion that John sees uh, the Lamb standing on and along with him, accompanied with him, the 144,000 standing on, whether or not this Mount Zion is a mountain in the heavenlies or whether it is a mountain on the earth. Well, first of all, I think it's important to uh, describe or explain that there is a Mount Zion in heaven. Just as there is, if you'll remember, there was a heavenly or is a heavenly tabernacle that's in heaven that the earthly tabernacle was a pattern of. There is a heavenly Mount Zion in the heavens. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of, of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect for a little while tonight our focus is going to be on this hundred and forty four thousand these first five verses whenever you read the phrase to the spirits of just men made perfect. He spoke about them having come to this Mount Zion, this heavenly Jerusalem. It speaks of those that are there or present, an innumerable company of angels. We would think that would be right for heaven. 
uh, that there is a general assembly or the church of the firstborn. Whenever we think of the church in its raptured sense, we would agree that they would be there, which are written in heaven. The God, the judge of us all, yes, that's 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 possible and probable. Amen. God in heaven ruling, amen, the universe. But to the spirits of just men made perfect. Some believe the spirits of just men made perfect may be alluding to the 144,000 Jews since in Revelation chapter 14 it describes them as this. If you read the first five verses, some of the descriptions of these 144,000 Jews are these. They are not defiled with women. They are redeemed from among men. There's no guile found in their mouth. And they are without fault. Now, there's something that we must understand. The word perfect, and we, I know I've touched on this before, and I will again. Is it okay for me not to say that uh, for the next however many years I'm here pastoring? Okay, <laughs> and let's just go. Um, the word perfect does not indicate sinlessness. The word perfect does not indicate sinlessness in Scripture. It indicates a completeness or a maturity in God's Word. When the Bible describes that the 144,000 were without fault or what we might call blameless, that doesn't mean they were sinless. As a matter of fact, in Timothy and Titus, one of the qualifications for a bishop in one area and a deacon in another area is that they would be blameless. Well, that doesn't mean that that deacon or that, or that uh, bishop was without sin or that they were sinless. What that simply conveys is this, that in their public life, one would be hard-pressed to convict them of known wrong. Amen. It's not to say that they didn't fight with the feelings or there were thoughts or there were attitudes that took place or things that may even took place in private. But among men, they tried to live in such a way that no one could just right away put a finger on their life, a sense of blamelessness. For that matter, if there was 144,000 that were without sin, that would totally contradict the word of God because there's only one person that ever was truly perfect and without sin, and that was namely the man, Christ Jesus. Secondly, so there is a heavenly Mount Zion, but secondly, there is a literal earthly Mount Zion, which we understand was or is Jerusalem. The Bible says in 1 Kings 8 and 1, and this is ex ex just extrapolated or taken from, if you will, a story. The Bible says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. In other words, the city of David was Jerusalem, and this verse even says it was Zion. So whenever you speak Zion or you say Jerusalem or you see, say the city of David, all of those are synonymous. They are one in the same thing. Zion, Jerusalem, the city of David, we're all talking about the same thing. As a matter of fact, God, in speaking of Jerusalem, the city of David, Zion, all meaning the same thing, he told us in the Psalms that God chose Zion as his dwelling place. That's where he dwelled. That's where he would put his name personally. And I want to underscore that. I personally lean toward the idea that this Mount Zion uh, that is spoken of in Revelation 14.1 is on the earth. It's the one that is the city of David. It is the one that is Jerusalem, the earthly Mount Zion. 
because soon after this verse in the very next verse of Revelation 14 and verse 2, the Bible says John hears a voice from heaven. So it reasons if John heard a voice from heaven that he must have been at the time then witnessing something on the earth if he said it was from heaven. Or otherwise he might have said, I heard a voice in heaven. He said, I heard a voice from the location from whence it came, heaven, as though he was not in that location. He said, so I heard a voice from heaven. And so it seems to reason that this would be the earthly Zion. Also, in Revelation 13, and I know that's been four weeks ago, but in Revelation 13, the last chapter that we had been studying, whenever John was observing things there in Revelation 13, he was observing things that were taking place on the earth, as he said. He said, one beast came out of the sea, the Antichrist. The other one came up out of the earth from among men, the false prophet. And as it goes, nothing has been noted since that time that anything has changed concerning John's uh, position. And so he must still be seeing things from the vantage point of earth someone say amen amen and so again i think it's important to denote as we go here a little further the things in chapter 14 are spoken of as though they are already finished they're already completed they are already done they're still going to come to pass in the future but they're already a signed sealed delivered thing and so the lamb Christ Jesus, that's what we know the Lamb to be. That's what he's described as throughout Scripture. The Lamb, Christ Jesus, is not coming back to the earth, though, until his second coming. We know no time, amen, that after he's left the earth and he even calls the rapture of the church in the clouds, remember, he doesn't come back to set his foot upon the earth until his second coming, whenever he's getting ready to fight in the battle of Armageddon and set up his 1,000-year millennial reign. And so we see it as an already finished work in Revelation 14 and 1. He's standing on Mount Zion, which I personally believe is up on the earth. That's something still yet to happen, still yet to take place, but John is writing of it as though it is already done. Amen. Zion could not be on the earth because the lamb is seen there in the final. See, whenever you think about, if you're talking about chronological order, if everything was just written in chronological order, which Revelation isn't, someone might come to Revelation 14 and say, well, the lamb is there upon the earth on Mount Zion. Well, that couldn't happen because we haven't had the seven vials of judgment poured out yet. And that has to happen before the battle of Armageddon. That has to happen before the completion of, of the tribulation. And so it's not chronological order. It's just seeing something still yet in the future. Amen. And so what I personally believe from my study is that John is catching a glimpse of a future event that will take place after the tribulation when Christ at that moment will set his foot on Mount Zion uh, Jerusalem, if you will, with 144,000 with him, ready at a moment in time to fight the battle of Armageddon and no doubt absolutely eager to set up his kingdom upon the earth, all right? Those 144,000 Jews who were protected all through the tribulation as we learned earlier, remember when we read about them in Revelation chapter number 7. Now, remember, it seems that the way that these 144,000 Jews are protected is because of the seal of God. You remember that? The seal of God that's in their forehead. It was their means of protection. Amen. Those that have it will keep from being hurt. 
If we can rehearse just a little, Revelations 9 and verse 4, the Bible says it was commanded to them that they should not hurt. Them what? There are some angels that were going to pour some things out through the trumpets. And it was commanded to them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any, tr any tree, but only those men, here's who they could hurt, those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So all these things, including those who had the seal, were not going to be hurt by the pouring out of the judgments of the trumpets. You remember that? As a matter of fact, the Bible states in this particular episode of Revelations 9, remember the locusts that came up out of the bottomless pit that we, we, we read about? We said, well, these locusts could maybe perhaps, they're just created for this purpose and time as a special breed just for the moment, or maybe perhaps they are demonic spirits, fallen angels that's coming out of the bottomless pit because if you'll remember... They seem to have some sense of intelligence and they were described unlike any other locust you've ever heard described in your life. But if you remember, they had some type of uh, intelligence because they knew who was God's and who was not God's and they were ordered. It was these locusts that were ordered not to hurt the grass, green things and trees. They were to hurt those that were without the seal of God in their foreheads. So in chapter 7, and I know th this is kind of peculiar chapter 14 because we got to reach different places tonight some of which we've already went over but in chapter 7 we are told that these the 144,000 comes from 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes and so these these 144,000 they were sealed you remember they were sealed the bible speaks of in revelation chapter number 7 uh, the four angels that were there were not able to go forth until they were sealed. And when they were sealed, they were allowed then to go forth. So they were sealed back in Revelation chapter number 7. But in chapter number 14, where we are tonight, we're told what that seal consisted of. And I think I spoke of this when we was in Revelation 7. But it consisted of having the Father's name written in their foreheads. Having the Lamb's Father's name written in their foreheads and being right here in 14 that's contrasted greatly with what we just learned in revelation 13 talking about if you're going to buy or sell you're going to have the name the mark amen right the name or the mark or the the number of the beast in your right hand or in your forehead that's for the antichrist but those, these Jews particular, that are sealed through the tribulation have the name of the Lamb's Father written in their foreheads. Now, the Living Bible and other translations uh, believe the correct rendering of that phrase, having, having his Father's name written in their foreheads, they believe the correct rendering is his name, that is the Lamb, and his Father's name. I might, I might have a soapbox before I get done here real quickly because they, they describe that as his name, in, in other words, Jesus' name and God's name written in their foreheads. All right? But that is the way that they interpret that because, well, this is another translation of the Bible. It's quite recent. All right? It's not a 1611 King James or anything like that. It's not just right after the original manuscripts. And see what they're trying to do with this. They hope that they can support their idea, their idea of a plurality of persons. That upon these 144,000 were two names that belonged to two individuals. But 
that's not the case at all. They're trying to, they're trying to, let me t- can I stop here for a moment? This is a commercial. I'm doing something a little different this year. I'm reading a different version of the Bible through this year just because I'm reading the Living Bible through this year. And so as a result of that, man, I've already come up with some great doctrinal error in the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, my wife was sitting by me the other night and I scratched up the Living Bible in every place it could be scratched up in the margins on Romans chapter number four because of the hogwashes going on. Let me just, as a commercial tonight, if you don't understand what we believe concerning doctrine and God's word, don't be reading any other translation all through for the year because you will be taken advantage of by doctrinal error if you don't know what you believe. But it's going to make some good preaching material. I'm telling you right now. i tell you what is just flat baffled my mind. Nevertheless, and so when you understand though, but when you understand as we understand, I'll go with them. They want to interpret like that. That's fine. I'll go with them. We'll call it, we'll call it the son's name or the lamb's name and his father's name. But whenever I understand that his father, God, which is spirit, John 4, 24, was incarnated or enfleshed in Jesus Christ, his son, the lamb, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ then I, you accept the seal on their foreheads as being the name Jesus because the name of the Father according to Jesus himself and I, I said this but Jesus is speaking he says in John 5 43 he said I Jesus speaking am come in my Father's name you receive me not if another shall come in his own name him will you receive so if you want to interpret like that that's all fine man I'm not getting shook over it amen because I know that God was in Christ and Jesus said I am come in my father's name there are not two two names upon those 144,000 Jews there's one name the name of the only person and that is Jesus Christ amen and so this isn't the only time we've seen the 144,000 Amen. As a matter of fact, I believe that the 144,000 that we see in Revelation 14 is the 144,000 that we read of in Revelation chapter number 7. And so in chapter 7, they were sealed. But in chapter 14, we're told why they were sealed. There's 144,000 Jews. And the Bible, again, description of them speaks this. They are redeemed from the earth and from among men. They are virgins not defiled with women. They follow the lamb wherever he leads. They are the first fruits. No guile is in their mouth. They are without fault. Number one, let's look up. They are redeemed from the earth, from among men. The word earth right there in Revelation 14 is translated from a Greek word meaning land or by extension a region, meaning that perhaps that this earth that they were redeemed from is speaking of the Jews being redeemed from a particular region, if you will, namely maybe their homeland of Jerusalem rather than just the general earth. I don't know. I'm looking through a glass darkly. Someone hear me. I know in part. It does not, listen to me plainly though, it does not, however, mean that the 144,000 are taken from every race and tongue because chapter 7 already solidified what their race was, that they were 12,000 from each of all the tribes of the children of Israel. That means they are Jewish. Amen. They are 
virgins not defiled with women. Uh, you're going to walk away here with questions tonight. I'm just telling you right now, all right? I can't answer everything that 14 brings up this evening. They are virgins not defiled with women. Now, a male or a female, anyone may be classified as a virgin. However, being that these virgins are not defiled with women seems to indicate that these are men. In a physical sense, that makes sense. That's understandable. But also, hear me out. In a sense, these 144,000 were virgins, or can I say they were chaste or pure, meaning they lived separated lives. They didn't entangle themselves because they're living during the time of the tribulation. They didn't entangle themselves with the schemes of the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the hosh posh that's going to be taking place during the days of, of, of the tribulation with deception and mayhem and remember uh, the, the fornication and the sorceries that we spoke of back when all this other stuff. They're, 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 they're virgins in the fact that they're not polluting themselves. They're chaste, they're pure. And so whenever we consider this, many times, at least in the book of Revelation, the false church or the false religious system in Revelation is depicted as a woman. More plainly, as a harlot. I'm just talking about two sides to a coin here, perhaps. That the 144,000 did not defile themselves with women could very easily be alluding to they didn't defile themselves with any other religion or false doctrine that was rampant in their day. The false church that's coming together as one. But they stay committed to the Lord, being tried and true. And if that's what it meant uh, by their virginity, uh, that they were staying undefiled from women, then they may represent a group of people that comprise of both genders. It could be male and female virgins, but they didn't defile themselves with the women, meaning any other false religion or false doctrine or false church. Which that is? I don't know. I'm just looking through a glass darkly. Also spoken of them, and I don't really have much to say on this, it's just plain and simple, they follow the Lamb wherever, wherever He leads. Let me tell you, that's vitally important for them during their days of tribulation, that they're following the Lord. They are the first fruits, the Bible says. They are the first fruits. Might I say the restored nation of Israel, they are not the first fruits of the church. They are not the first fruits of the church. This is tribulation time. They are not the first fruits of the church. Had they been part of the church, they would not be in the tribulation. Not the first fruits of the church. If they were part of the church, they wouldn't be going through the tribulation. More specifically, they are the first fruits, if you will, of the Jews in their dispensation of time. That time of tribulation. See, in the Old Testament, when you're reading the Old Testament and you hear about this concept or this word, first fruits uh, first fruits was nothing more but a first sampling if you will of the grain uh, of whatever the crop may have been at that particular time of year you talk about the first fruits being the firstborn of a lamb or, or a goat or a ram whatever it was it was the first uh, sampling that was offered as an offering unto God and so the first fruits were just a part of the whole a sampling of the whole they were, if you will, a testament to the fact that there was more to come and this is just a sampling of what is to come. 
And so perhaps in that way, the 144,000 Jews that were sealed were the first fruits denoting that other Jews would also be coming to know the Lord as their Messiah during tribulation times because many of them would be martyred. Not the 144,000 because they're protected. But there would be other Jews that may come to know the Messiah and be martyred for their belief and die and get out of their suffering and pain and enter on in. All right? The Bible says the 144,000, no guile in their mouth. They were without fault. We've already touched on that idea, in fact, of blamelessness. It doesn't mean they were without sin at all. It just means that they were in such a way that they were living life before the community that you couldn't just lay a finger upon them. Now, let's back up for a moment. Let's catch verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 14. Verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, I heard a voice from heaven, John says, as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. There's your tongue twister to practice at home. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne. And before someone's trying it right now. And, I heard, you know, and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, John hears this voice from heaven. And he describes it to us as, he, the best words that he could use to describe the voice is he said it's the voice of many waters. As a further description, he says it's a voice of great thunder. And he says, and I heard the voice, or if you will, the sound. I heard the sound of harpers harping with their harps. The tongue twister. He says, so I, I, heard, I heard a sound like thunder in many waters, and I also heard a sound of harpers harping with their harps. Then in verse 2, he explains that what he heard, aside from the harpers harping with their harps, I, mean, huh, I practice today, no, <laughs> Amen. What he learned then, what he explains is that what he heard, the thunder and the waters, the voice that he described is that that he heard was people that were singing. But he doesn't tell us what people. Here's where the question, I can't answer this for you. This is, not necessarily. What people are singing? They, the, this unlabeled group of people, the Bible, John says, was singing a new song. They were singing it before the throne, before the four beasts, and before the elders, the 24 elders that are round about the throne. In Revelation chapter number 4, which is way back, I don't even expect you to even dare remember. But in Revelation chapter 4, we concluded during that time, this is when we were introduced to the 24 elders in Revelation 4, that we understood the 24 elders to stand as a representative group that represented the church. And back then, it was the 24 elders that were singing a new song or what we uh, come to conclude to be a song of the redeemed or a song of redemption. But that representative group, the 24 elders, must not be singing here because whoever it is is singing before the elders and the four beasts and the throne. All right? So I'm not for sure, okay, I'm not for sure, but it is quite possible this new song is being sung not by the 24 that are just a representation of the church, but perhaps it is being sung by the church that is present in totality that are there, roaring like a voice of thunder and many waters. Because again, listen, we've, we've done this, but listen, 
Usually when you read in Scripture, and I'm not just talking about Revelation, whenever you read in Scripture about a new song throughout the Bible, it is normally associated with redemption. Whenever you read about a new song through the Psalms, it is usually speaking about redemption or victory, being redeemed, being saved, being pulled out, redemption. Why? Because you cannot be redeemed and sing the same old song when you're delivered in victory and you're redeemed. You got a new song to sing. It's a song of redemption. And so the 144,000, the Bible says, so there's this voice coming down. It's thunderous. It's like many waters. There's a new song being sung. It's not the elders. It's not the four beasts. It's around about the throne. But boy, it is just being just blasted. And they're singing a new song. That's probably a redemption song. More than likely, maybe even the totality of the church that is present there because we're looking at something that's finished that still has to come, all right? All of this is taking place. And the Bible says the only people that could learn that song at that point in time was the 144,000. They could learn the redemptive tune. Why? Because at that particular time, when they're standing on the Mount of Zion with the Lamb, they too have met their redemption and have had their victory of seven years of agony being kept and protected through pain, through beheadings, through, through locusts, through evil spirits, through demonic things. They too could learn the song because they had the same redemption Amen. They had a similar testimony as did those that were already in the heavens. And so with all of this tonight, now I'm hastening to the close. See, I said I was going to be good to you. Amen. I'm hastening to a close. All of this may, if you continue reading chapter 14, it's going to stir up some questions. All right? You may already came in here with them. You're trying to mark them off, and I haven't marked any of them off for you. I feel so good about that. Amen. Many of them may not be able to be answered because, again, we, are, we only know in part and we are looking definitely through a glass darkly. What are we doing then? We're waiting for he who is perfect to come. When he who perfect is come, the writer Corinthians says, that part will be done away with. Why? Because, once again, we'll know and be known even as he is known and is Amen as well. If you'll stand with me this evening, we'll go on into the book of Revelation 14 just a little further next week. Maybe we can get through it. Amen. And head on our way through the book of Revelation. I'm still predicting it will be late spring, early. <laughs> no, um, maybe mid-spring. According to what's going on between now and then, you know, y'all don't cancel church on me or something. <laughs> God don't. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't think he cancels church. We do that, but nevertheless. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray tonight and be thankful for the Lord, for his spirit. Amen. And just for his word. God, I love you tonight. God, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. I thank you, O oh Lord Jesus, God, for our ability to come together and study your word. God, you're able to bring us, Lord, enlightenment. I pray, O oh God, and grant us understanding. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, you would help us, God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.